You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Good day one. Really impressed with the effort and enthusiasm out here. The guys took to the uh, style of practice that we're going to have really well. Um, a lot of details that still need to get fixed, but that was good effort and intensity. It's special for me to be back here. Uh, this is a little different setting than what I was used to practicing in, uh, but seeing that Ann up there is special to me. Uh, once you get on the field and practice starts, it's practice. Uh, I could be in Siberia or Yemen for all I know. It's practice, but when we take time to step back and, and look at things, being back here in Lincoln is pretty special to me. And it was finally here. Nebraska took the field for the first time since the hiring of Scott Frost. Well over 100 days now, we finally got to see Scott Frost go out on a football field with a whistle and get Nebraska through uh, their opening spring practice on Friday. Players off this week. They'll come back on Tuesday um, from spring break uh, for their second workout, um, which will start around 7.30 or so in the morning. Uh, hello, welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. Nate Klaus and guys, um, you know, it's been over 100 days, but it really hasn't felt like it's been that long since Scott Frost has been Nebraska's head coach. I mean, to me, it still feels like it's only been about 30 days, but a lot of time has passed and we finally got to see this team or we didn't really get to see him, but we they, they took the practice field um, and, and, and you did get the sense it is going to be pretty tight um, as far as access goes. Um, there were no practice guests or visitors in for that first practice. And you got to be a pretty dedicated fan to go at 6 a.m. on a Friday to go watch a practice. But um, I asked the yellow coder, how many guests have walked in? He goes, well, I was the first guy there. He goes, you're the first guy I've let in. So, um, you know, not a lot of people saw that first practice. But uh, from all the reports we've heard from coaches, players, um, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, it sounded like it was a good tone setter for how things are going to be going forward. I mean, obviously there was just meetings and conversations, but um, you know that that Friday session was the first time the coach and players actually got to be on the field together with footballs, with helmets on, and you know even even though it was just a helmets only shorts and t-shirts uh, section session, um, they actually kind of got got to get things going a little bit. And I think if anything, it kind of gave them an idea of what the paces of practice are going to be like. That's a big deal. Um, just how fast they're going to go uh, between reps and how much they want to pack in and maximize the time they have every practice. And so um, I think if anything, it was just a way to kind of get everybody on the same page of what life is going to be like when they return to the real work next week. Um, and I think that was done certainly by design uh, with uh, spring break coming up. You know, kids sometimes uh, tend to have a little bit too much fun. But if you have that looming over your head that once you get back to work, um, you know, you don't want to you don't want to go too hard and then have to kind of make up a bunch of ground uh, and, you know, have your head in a trash can towards the first few practices of the week. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can really tell or, or pick up on from the first practice. But to me, the fact that it was a 6 a.m. practice and Coach Frost is talking about how guys were showing up at 4.30, 4.45 in the morning. I mean, the guys were there early, excited and ready to go. I mean, that's one thing you can definitely take away from it is the effort and the attitude that, that they all have right now. And, and I think they're ready to get after it. And, and uh, you know, it sounded like the the effort and the attitude was good there. And, uh, and it's going to be good going forward. Uh, you know, I, I really like the way they did it, too 
you know, to have that first practice on Friday, not only does it kind of leave it looming over your head so you make some better decisions over spring break, but it also allowed them to have a full week full, you know, of meetings and, and the walkthroughs and everything. And I think that could be very beneficial going forward. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, A. Klaus setting the tone here on spring break week as Nebraska's had just one practice. But guys, this is what's different to me about this change um, compared to all the other ones. And I've been a part of all of them all the way from, you know, when Solich was fired. Um, and, you know, when Solich was fired and Bill, and um, Bo Pelini were fired, Solich went, his team went 10 and 3. Bo Pelini's team went 9 and 4. Um, so you had coaches that got fired that, number one, I think a lot of players were upset about how it all went down because they were good teams that contended for their divisions in the conference. And there was a lot of fan. Um, you know, opinions about it. And then you go to a completely outside the box hire in Mike Riley, a completely outside the box hire, um, you know, in Bill Callahan. Um, and you know, I think Bo Pelini is kind of the outlier because he did win a national championship as a D coordinator, was here, had that connection to Solich and um, even Osborne to an extent um, when Osborne brought him in. But this one was different to me because Scott Frost obviously is a walking legend in this state. He's coming off a 13-0 and season uh, where he won the Peach Bowl against the only team that beat Alabama, the national champions, by the way, in Auburn. Uh, they beat Auburn in that game who beat Alabama. Um, so I think the players really respect what this staff has brought to the field. And I don't think you have to really do a hard sell job to this team because they've seen how this state has gone just gaga bonkers for Scott Frost, and they saw what he did in two years' time in Orlando. So when you take the field, I think, for that first week of practice, it's almost an honor. You're like, wow, this guy's my coach now. And and that was the sense I got, Robin, after that first day. Yeah, I think that obviously, you know, Frost's time at Nebraska was, you know, people, guys know about it. You know, there's probably some in-state guys that have a better appreciation for others. But the reality is that a lot of these guys weren't even born when he was a quarterback in Nebraska. So I think that the bigger selling point was what they accomplished at Central Florida in such a short amount of time. I mean, 0-12 to 13-0, that's probably never been done before. And to have that type of season and put up the numbers that they did, and then on the biggest stage have that win over Auburn where you know every single player on Nebraska's roster was watching that game, um, that hits home for guys more than anything. That, that, that They see it with their own eyes that what they're getting themselves into can win, has won, and they can you know look pretty good doing it and have a lot of fun in the process. So I think that has helped as much as anything. Yes, Frost is a legend, and yes, you know the, the fans uh, absolutely love him. He's the most unifying coach you could possibly get. But from a player standpoint, um, the the proven success of this system and just his he's selling tangible results exactly. And then the approach in which he does it, you know, the the focus on um, not being scared to make mistakes, you know, having fun every practice, you know enjoying the game of football, I think that product in itself is easy to sell and doesn't take a lot of work for guys to buy into it. Well, and if you're a competitor, a true competitor, you absolutely hated going 4-8 and eight last year. You hated everything that went into last season and everything about it. So you're, you're ready. You're probably begging for a change uh, to occur and for it to, to happen with somebody who has the, you know, the, you know, 
I guess the can walk the walk and talk the talk type of type of person like Scott Frost is. I, I think that you're eager for that, and uh, um, you know if you're seeing the results that have taken place in in the off season program and and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, I think all of that kind of culminates in in being pretty excited for what's what lies ahead for this team. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we uh, give some opening thoughts here. Um, on just that that first spring practice, um, it will be interesting though to see how this team comes back from the break. Um, now, the one thing I'll, I'll say is I don't think we're going to get a lot of looks at this team over the course of spring. Um, the photo days right now are limited to just one, and it's not till April. I'm told. Uh, typically, you know, under Mike Riley, we got to watch about six entire practices and maybe have four days to go in there and take pictures and get a good look at the team. Um, that's the one thing that's going to be a challenge as we wrap this discussion up, Robin, is just um, we're not going to get that good of a look. They're not going to let as many people into practices from, you know, dignitaries and former and high school coaches, and, and, and they're going to limit parents' appearances and practices. Um, so they're going to kind of keep a lid on that, and that will be different. Yeah, there's no surprise, too, just knowing Frost's personality. And Chip and, Kelly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's just kind of the way they go about it. They don't need, you know— 50 to 100 people on the sidelines at every practice. And that's, that can, you know, that's a good thing to embrace, um, you know, people within the program, former players, you know, high school coaches, but at the same time, um, you need a a focused controlled area. And especially with the way that they're going to operate, you know, I think that just keeping things as close to the vest as possible is probably the best way to go about it. And so uh, while it's going to sacrifice our practice observations, which I know people enjoy, uh, I think that for the uh, betterment of the team, it's probably the good move. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift our discussion over to uh, the quarterback as uh, lots to talk about this spring. Uh, with that battle, we'll give some early thoughts on what we know and, and what we, we're hearing next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I didn't ask the players their opinion when we moved to morning practices, but I'm a believer in it. This is this is earlier than I want to go, but the schedule right now dictates that. Listen, our, our kids will be better football players, better students, uh, and better citizens on campus when we get our work done in the morning. That's what we're trying to get done, and the guys have responded well to it. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as Nebraska in the middle of spring break. But we are not stopping the Husker Online Show. In fact, this is the 156th consecutive week that we've done the Husker Online Show, so we just broke our three-year anniversary or I guess we're, we're we are on our three-year anniversary here this week uh, doing this show so uh, it's a pleasure to bring you the show uh, each and every week for the last three years guys and uh, as, as we move forward let's talk quarterbacks I just you know you, you look at that position and Nate I want to go to you first on this you're a recruiting guy um, and, and you've seen a lot of these guys play more than anybody because you watch Jebbia play. We've watched Noah Vedro play. He's ineligible to play this year. But Adrian Martinez, that you didn't get to see in person, but you've studied him and watched him. And then Tristan Jebbia or Patrick O'Brien as well. Um, we, we watched him plenty in high school. What are your thoughts just going into this competition right now as we sit with 14 more practices to go? Well, I think the, I mean, the big question everyone's had is okay, is. Is Patrick O'Brien and Tristan Jebby, are they athletic enough to, to operate in this system? And I think they are. I mean, neither one of them are, are burners. You know, they're not going to be ripping off 40, 50, 60-yard touchdown runs or anything like that. But I think they are athletic enough to at least move the chains, uh, to have the, the defense respect their feet and their ability to move um, and run if they need to. 
and and I think especially you know with um, you know the gains some of the gains that we've heard about especially with Tristan Jebbia, I, I think that uh, I think that they're going to be able to, to kind of factor into this offense and maybe have a little bit better shot than a lot of people initially gave him credit for. Um, you know, and, and we we've all heard about you know Jebbia's makeup and the way that that uh, that he kind of approaches things in terms of preparing and watching film and just being a, an overall you know film film junkie I guess uh, and I think that's going to benefit him too. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see what happens. It's the first time that we've really had a scenario where no one really knows what what to 2010 expect. i mean taylor martinez was way off the or two that yeah 2010 would be the last time martinez yeah no one i mean no one pegged martinez as zach lee i mean the the returning starter that yeah. won the bowl game was coming back that next year yeah but it but yeah you had a you had an incumbent you don't have any i mean it's a this is a legit wide wide fresh open slate for everybody and 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 you've got a head coach that that has set the precedent that he's not afraid to run with a true freshman so I mean that's what makes it this quarterback race so intriguing to me is that um, you have a little bit of everything uh, and, and and really anything can happen and, and you know I don't think that we're going to probably have a, a great idea of of what to expect until maybe the spring game and that's the biggest thing about this wide open competition you have a room of quarterbacks where you have 30 total pass com- attempts uh, within the whole group all of them by one guy and the rest of the group hasn't played a meaningful snap in a game, including high school, in almost two years. And so that inexperience makes this just such a unique situation. Now, obviously, there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of potential with all three of those guys. Um, but there's a lot a lot of uh, proving that needs to be done uh, over the next, you know, I think the spring game, you're maybe just going to get a, a, a taste of an idea of what that group's going to look like. I think this competition is going to go on into the fall, and it'll probably be... Um, you know, a, a couple weeks into fall camp before we get a, a true, um, pretty solid idea of what that depth chart is going to look like. And so, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, how does Patrick O'Brien fit in this? Is he going to be able to um, reshape, you know, his body to be more of the, uh, you know, versatile dual threat type quarterback? What does Jebbia's gains this, this offseason? Does that make him, uh, you know, a little bit more viable of an option? And then obviously Adrian Martinez, uh, you know, he hasn't played football in a long time. So, you know, is he going to be the t- type of athlete um, that Nebraska was so excited about when, you know, they were recruiting him? So, I mean, there's just so many questions left to be answered that at this point right now, there's no way you can say you have any idea of how this thing is going to shake out uh, just because, I mean, there are a lot of variables left to be answered here. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus. We're talking quarterbacks here and uh, another element to this will be Mario Verdusco, the, the first-year quarterbacks coach here at Nebraska. Um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on Wednesday last week with the assistant coaches, and of all the guys, his personality and, and just how he kind of went about his session really captivated a lot of people. I mean, just a very interesting guy to talk to and, um, you know, just, you know, when you see a picture of him, I don't think you're expecting him to be kind of this loud, fun-loving um, guy that, that has a lot of passion that he wears on his sleeve, but um, his approach, I you know, I've got to know Noah Vedral, and, and he said the players just loved him, and Nate, you even heard that on the recruiting trail immediately. Adrian Martinez said he loved Mario Verdusco, and, and, and just how he goes about it will be interesting to see, because there's going to be a microscope on him, unlike any time in his coaching career. Yeah, there really is, and, and that's, that is the first thing that I heard, you know, as soon as 
obviously we all know that as soon as Scott Frost was hired and, and everything, the, the first offer they made was to Adrian Martinez. Well, the first coach to visit him was Mario Verduzco, and, and I was able to, to speak with Adrian following that in-home visit. And and it went unbelievably well. And and Adrian was just gushing about how well that in home visit was and how, how much he and his family got along with Mario. Um and, and just were so impressed with him and, and I think it is because he's a little bit of a different guy. I mean, he's he's not your cookie cutter quarterback coach. I mean, he, he thinks about things a little bit differently, has different philosophies and um and, and he's honest. He's not gonna he's not gonna exactly. sugarcoat it. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's an awful lot to like about him. Along with that honesty, you can tell that he is going to hold this group to an incredibly high standard and not just with how they operate in the meeting room and how they do on film study uh, and, you know, in just their, their throw arounds and seven on sevens. I think a lot of emphasis is going to be put on how you operate when the bullets are flying for real in real football situations. Uh, he actually pointed to that. And, um, you know, you can score really well on a test and make all the right answers, uh, you know, watching, sitting in a chair, watching the, the you know, TV screen. Uh, but when you can't make those decisions in what he called a quick blink uh, situation, uh, that really makes it all for naught because that, that's a, such an important part to this offense. When you have a guy like a McKenzie Milton who can just make those snap decisions and know where to go with the football um, you know, without even really thinking about it, that is what makes this thing so potent. And so that that is going to be the thing I think they're looking for the most out of this quarterback group is who not only knows what he's doing, but who can translate that into quick efficient and productive decisions on the field he had quite a bit of good one-liners uh, one of my favorite ones he said i know three things uh there is a god i'm not god and i love to coach quarterbacks <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's gonna be uh, a favorite and if the coaches can go out to some of these speaking events again um he'll be a guy that i think a lot of people uh will want to see and you know real quick guys andrew bunch too i mean he gets brought up a lot none of us bring him up because he's the lone walk-on in the room um but he could be a real wild card you know his his skill set kind of maybe fits the system better than riley's system um so that's a guy that you know early on just to kind of see what he does i'll be intrigued well if there was ever a situation where he could make a push this would be it because this is about as even level of a playing field as a guy like andrew bunch is ever going to get at this level of football and he's an athletic guy. He does run well. Maybe he was a three-star recruit yeah. out of high school. I mean, yeah. he, he was technically rated higher than Noah Vedral was, and Noah Vedral was the number two quarterback for Scott Frost last year. Nate. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, like Robin said, if there was ever a time for a walk-on to to have an opportunity to grab a grab a starting role here, it would be right now for Andrew Bunch. And I mean, he's a fairly mature guy. He's been he's been through. You know, he hasn't doesn't have any starts under his belt, but he he's, junior college starts. Yeah, well, yeah junior college starts he, he's got some experience uh under his belt he's been through a lot of different situations all right when we come back we'll continue the discussion of spring practice you're listening here to the husker online show this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics yeah i don't think it's any secret that i i loved that team down there our whole coaching staff did i'd go to battle with those guys anytime that being said, this was a quite a bit better first day than we had uh, on our first day down there. Uh, I think the guys were a little more mentally prepared for it. As coaches, we were all a little better because we've been through this process before. And um, I was really impressed with, with the execution and, and understanding what we're trying to get done on day one. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. As one practice in the books for Nebraska. They're off and they'll come back on Tuesday uh, for practice number two after spring break is over. We've enjoyed the spring break. It's been nicest to be home and, and relax after what's, what's been um, kind of a crazy off season um, with everything that we've dealt with. But uh, guys, let, let, let's talk defense. Um, you know, we, we've had a chance to talk to the defensive coaches, a lot of defensive players. And, you know, this is a group that returns a lot of players uh, that have started and played in games. I mean, you, you go on the defensive line, Freedom Akamaladu, Mick Stoltenberg, Carlos Davis, Khalil Davis, Ben Stilley. That's not a bad returning group there on the front uh, three. Um, and you throw in a Damian Daniels. That linebacker, you have Dedrick Young, Luke Gifford's back, Muhammad Berry's back. I mean, you got three backers that have played a lot of football. Um, you know, Cedric King has played, but I, I'm not counting on him. Uh, but then in the secondary, um, your safeties are all back as well. So, you could make a case this team returns essentially eight or nine starters on defense, uh, but uh, you know on the flip side, it was one of the worst defenses in school history. <laughs> yeah, is that necessarily a good thing? No, but I, I think that experience will help. Um, but I think more than anything, uh, this I think this philosophy that they run uh, is going to be a little bit more manageable to handle. Um, you know, obviously Bob Diaco. Um, was an interesting guy in a lot of different ways. And it was pretty clear that what he was trying to teach just never clicked with this defense. I mean, they got players that really never looked like they knew what they truly knew what they were supposed to be doing. He wore and, a hell of a suit, though, on postgame. Yeah. And so I don't know if it clicked with some of the assistant yeah, coaches. <laughs> so, I mean, one guy knew what they were supposed to do, but uh, unfortunately, no one else did. And so I think that's probably one of the hallmarks that will help these guys more than anything about Eric Chenander's defense is um, they, you know, it's not anything that's overly perplexing and complex. It's going to be basically see ball, get ball, attack, make plays, and don't be afraid to take chances. And they uh, will rush the quarterback. Yeah, they get after the quarterback and they force turnovers. I mean, they were one of the tops in the nations in interceptions. Uh, they sack the quarterback a whole bunch. And so um, they're one of those, it's a type of scheme with the offense that they're playing alongside with. Uh, they know they're going to be on the field a lot. Um, and as a result, they're probably going to give up some yards. They're probably going to get up some points. But the way to counteract that is by creating plays on your own, you know, making plays by attacking the quarterback, uh, forcing turnovers, creating interceptions, you know, those game changing types of plays. And so I think that this will probably help some of those guys that we've been waiting to see them reach their potential as playmakers uh, finally kind of get unleashed a little bit and, you know, take take the reins off and let these playmakers go out there and finally make plays for once. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing when I was able to talk with Eric Chenander is he kind of described his 3-4 as more of a one-gap 3-4 um, that that is aggressive and that they're going to try to create havoc and, and create turnovers out on the field. So, um, you know, it's not your typical two-gap, three-four, uh, where guys are kind of, you know, always I mean, where that front line's always holding guys up or, or trying to free the outside linebackers. I think, you know, it sounds like he's just wanting athletes to be athletes and, and to go, like you said, Robin, go see the ball and, and get it and, and, you know, try to create a turnover there. And, um, so I, I'm kind of excited to, to actually see a defense like that where guys are able to just pin their ears back and, and get after it and be ath be athletes, you know, go out and make plays instead of being paralyzed by decision-making or, or you know, playing this bend, don't break, whatever. Analytic defense, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, 
We've seen that for a long, long time. Even it's like Moneyball in baseball almost. Yeah. I mean, you're just trying to play the safe analytics and bunt numbers and all that. I mean, it doesn't work in football. No, especially in, in college. I, I just think that if, you, if you're able to re- go out and recruit athletes, let them make plays. I mean, go play football. Don't, don't you know, bundle them up and, and kind of uh, tie an arm behind their back with, with uh, decision-making or, or being making all these reads and, and everything. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything if you recruit a four or five star level athlete, then you don't let them go play. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the one big thing that we've seen with this defense is guys have just been so scared to take chances. And if there's anything, they are encouraged to take chances. I mean, obviously be smart, but still, you know, I mean, don't be afraid to go out there and be a player. And I think that's probably going to be the thing that they're going to try and drill in these guys' heads as much as anything over the next few months. Now, I'll be real curious as we look at kind of position battles. The middle linebacker, you have three guys, really, Dedrick Young and Mowberry and then Will Honus. And, you know, Will Honus is having a really good offseason, getting straight A's um, in the classroom, had a great winner. Um, I would be shocked if he's not one of the two starting linebackers. But what do you do at the the other one between Barry, Dedrick Young? Uh, Dedrick Young's been a starter, but I think a lot of us here right now think that Mo Barry's always had the ability to start, but for whatever reason, uh, they've mentally held him back. But he, you know, last spring, Nate, he looked like the best linebacker yeah, at times. He, re- he really did, and and you also you've got a guy like Avery Roberts who who has you know is big probably, time potential. Yeah, I mean, big time potential is probably the most highly touted you know inside linebacker that Nebraska's recruited in a long time. So uh, that's it's going to be really interesting what hap- you know to see what happens there. Uh, you mentioned Dedrick Young. There's nobody has produced more than he has. Uh, you know, it hasn't always looked pretty. But you know he just hasn't looked the same though since the beginning when he got here. Yeah, um, you know. But is he going to be a guy that maybe maybe he's freed up a little bit more by this new system? You know, is he going to look like a different player uh, under under Chenander? So I mean, there's th- that is that's probably going to be the most interesting battle on that side of the football because there are so many talented guys there, um, and and I'm kind of I'm glad that I'm not Barrett Rude because he's going to have he's going to have a hard some guys. Will be unhappy. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have a hard time making that room all happy. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk position battles, and you know the other JUCO guys, Deontay Williams. I think he's walking into a spot where he could easily win a starting corner job this spring. You lose Chris Jones, you lose Joshua Kalu. Uh, essentially, DiCaprio Boodle is your number one corner returning along with Eric Lee and then Lamar Jackson. Um, So you've got those three guys. And, you know, I I think all of us would agree Lamar has not lived up to the billing. I mean, this is going to be a huge spring for him to show this staff that he can play better because I can tell you, Matt Davison, when you listen to the radio, he was not a Lamar Jackson fan last year. And and I'm sure that has gotten back to the staff. And Lamar is going to really have to prove himself um, because Deontay Williams is coming here to win a job as well. Well, I think the best thing is there's finally some competition in that room. I mean, that room was so small last year that uh, no matter how badly those guys would have played, you know, there's no one to take their jobs. I mean, there was essentially three guys they could depend on in that cornerback room. And, you know, for better or worse, those were the three guys. And so now when you had to have a little bit of an influx of talent, um, maybe some newcomers that can push for starting jobs, you know, as we all say, competition generally brings out the best in every. And so I think that if maybe could be a blessing in disguise for a Lamar Jackson type who um, we all know how talented he could be. Um, but maybe this is finally the situation for one, it's a player friendly defense Two, there's actually some fire that's going to get lit under him where he's not just handed a starting job with no consequences of being removed from it. That's uh, go ahead. That's the 
thing is I've, I've had conversations with former staff members and and when it comes to Lamar Jackson, they say that that's probably the worst thing that happened to him was that he was essentially handed the starting job. He's given a black shirt right away. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have to go out and earn it. He didn't have to earn his stripes and 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 kind of prove that he was the player that everyone thought he was when he was being recruited. And and I and I think that I mean I think that kind of hurt his mentality. Kind of uh, telling guys he's going to go early. Yeah, I mean, I mean you don't you just don't do that. I mean, it's well, just not some. some Something that we're used to hearing around Nebraska, where a guy comes in as a freshman and I'll be here three years, basically. Yeah, I mean that doesn't happen very often. And, and one guy that it did happen with uh, that he was able to kind of turn it around with was Indomik and Sue. I mean, when Sue first came into the program, he was telling everyone that he was only going to be here for you know the bare minimum and that he was going to be gone and this and that and was kind of a selfish you know selfish player to begin with. And um, you know he got humbled a little bit his first couple of years, but he was able to turn around. So we'll see if Lamar Jackson can do the same. All right, well, when we come back, we are going to talk some basketball. Tim Miles had his big powwow with Bill Moose. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on that and kind of what's going on uh, with Nebraska basketball, as including uh, some roster attrition that happened over the weekend. All that's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett now as we'll take a break from spring practice talk. We'll talk some recruiting here in our next segment, but still want to talk some Husker hoops here with Robin Washett as a lot going on off the field, um, off the court. And, you know, Robin, let's start right away with Tim Miles. Um, you know, it's been some interesting stuff to follow, just uh, kind of where things are at with his contract negotiations. Um, after this season, he has just two years remaining at Nebraska, uh, which is extremely light, you know, in terms of college basketball contracts. You, you just don't see coaches get down to that very often and uh, had his meeting with Bill Moose, according to uh, Lee Barfnick of the Omaha World Herald. Um, and it was the, f- the thing I found most interesting with that, Robin, was it was uh, apparently the first time the two have ever sat down and had an extensive conversation. And I don't know, man, that, that just that 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 just doesn't sound right or feel right to me. But I could be way wrong. Maybe they obviously they are, you know, g- could just give them an extension and move forward. But um, there's just still a lot of gray area in this Tim Miles, Bill Moose thing uh, that we don't know enough about yet. That was probably the strangest thing about this deal is, you know, not only um, was the meeting on Tuesday um, basically initiated by Miles, it was kind of coordinated by Mark Bame. So this wasn't a deal where Bill Moose reached out to Tim and, you know, wanted to sit down and talk shop. Um, This was kind of a third party organized deal that you got to wonder why this didn't happen two months ago. Uh, you know, obviously Bill had a lot on his plate taking over the job, uh, the transition under, you know, getting Scott Frost here. But don't tell me that. he doesn't have a half hour. Exactly. I mean, what were you doing all January and February? Uh, I mean, I guess I don't understand um, why this took so long, um, you know, and that was kind of Bill's excuse in the story through a spokesman was uh, that, you know, he's just had his, he's been so busy, he hadn't had time to, um, you know, sit down and talk with Tim. So I guess whatever, at least it happened eventually. Um, and now kind of going forward, uh, it's going to be, you know, the first of a, a handful of meetings they're going to have down the road to discuss kind of where the plan is for this program, what Miles's vision is, um, you know, and kind of lay out that five-year plan that, um, you know, isn't all that out of the norm. I think you always have to have a, a long-term five-year plan no matter where you are with your contract. But um, I th- still think this is going to go one or two ways. Miles is probably going to get a contract extension, which I'm probably leaning towards 
happening more, or they're going to part ways. And, you know, Bill Moose is going to try and find somebody else who he thinks um, can do a better job. But, um, you know, I think that there's really no kind of end point um, anytime soon with, with, with kind of how the reports have come out about this. The fact that, um, you know, that Tuesday meeting was not a end-all, be-all conversation. It was, a, all right, well, this is the start of kind of further dialogue we're going to have over the next however many weeks. And um, I, that kind of leads me more to believe that, um, you know, given the the circumstances, you know, surrounding college basketball, you know, it's going to be a pretty volatile market um, over the next few months, over the next year with the college basketball scandals that, um, you know, maybe the timing isn't exactly right to all of a sudden throw your hat in the ring to make a massive coaching change, uh, especially after a guy that you had here just won 22 games and went 13 and five in the Big Ten. And you, you already are seeing um, Georgia moved on Tom Crean and brought him in this week. Um, you have Dan Hurley, who's kind of in the middle between Pittsburgh and UConn or staying at Buffalo. Um, so there's a lot of potential shakeup and movement already. And you know Eric Musselman's going to be a hot name. Um, you know, he's an interesting guy, though. I, mean, I, I watched Eric Musselman, Robin, since I was a little boy when he'd come to Omaha and coach against the Racers. He was a young guy in his 20s, and he was nuts. Back, he was way more nuts back then. I mean, he would get booed in there. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting market nonetheless. Um, especially if a lot of things drop down here. And, and, and that's what puts Bill Moose, I think, in a tough spot. Like, uh, can he really gamble um, to, to, to move on knowing that there could be a lot of shakeup here in the next week or two or next few months? Yeah, and who is to say what jobs are going to come open? I mean, there's probably going to be some blue blood level jobs. Louisville's, Louisville's already it, there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but who's to say that's the last of them? That's Ari- what I'm Arizona, yeah, Louisville. That's what I'm saying. And so the Eric Musselmans of the world, you're going to go against some pretty top-level competition to get him. And so does Nebraska think they have, one, the contract that is going to lure him here, and two, um, you know, the the appeal of uh, where you are as a program right now to sell over, uh, you know, one of the traditional powers that could be out there in time. So, I mean, it's like I said, that's why I think there's just too many questions, um, too much risk involved in making uh, a gamble, um, especially coming off the year Nebraska just had. I mean, this is um, as far as upward trajectory goes, this is as high as Nebraska basketball has been in a long time. And granted, the postseason didn't end up the way it, you know, everybody wanted. Uh, that doesn't take away that this team clearly showed it is capable of not only competing in the Big Ten, but being one of the better teams in the conference. And so the next step, assuming you're able to retain, you know, the bulk of the lineup that they have that is scheduled to come back, uh, there's no reason to believe that they can't equal uh, last year's success and, you know, take that even a step further um, next year with a core group of veterans that, you know, should be returning. It's a top 25 team. I think everybody I returns, agree. but easier said than done. And there's already been a little attrition, but n- not a big piece, Robin. Uh, Jack McVeigh, uh, yes, he did beat Purdue two years ago and scored, what, 28 in that game or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, probably one of the bigger, most random scoring lines you'll ever see um, where a guy that really didn't do much played that big of a factor against what were they in a lead lead eight team a yep. year before? Yep. Um, but McVeigh is going pro. He's out the door, um, and and you know I, I think a lot of Husker fans are like, well, here we go, and and, and kind of what's your thoughts on what's next? Yeah, I mean, if you were surprised by Jack McVeigh moving on, then you probably didn't pay a lot of attention to Nebraska basketball. Um, that was kind of. Uh, written on the wall for several months now, uh, and it was the best for both parties. I mean, obviously Jack had kind of just fallen out of the rotation um, and really wasn't even an option after the Penn State game. Uh, and so, you know, he, 
he's got opportunities to play. You know, he's going back to Australia. He's probably going to search for a professional contract down there. Uh, but gives Nebraska an extra scholarship heading into the spring where they can potentially pursue, um, you know, a transfer. I mean, you know, they have two open spots now. Um, and so that that was probably the least surprising development you're going to have this offseason. Now, the question going forward is where what's next? I mean, is that the end of it? Um, I'm reluctant to, you know, make any guesses on that point because uh, I've been surprised plenty of times before, um, including last year, which um, we all know how that went down. So there's some questions with guys like Isaac Copeland, James Palmer, um, even Jordy Shimanga. Um, and, you know, you go down the list, if you look at our message board, they think pretty much everybody on the team's potentially going to leave. Uh, but that's what happens when you have the constant attrition that's happened with Nebraska basketball. Uh, you know, I mean, people just kind of expect the worst. And um, that's, the you know, on one hand, your biggest selling point is the roster that's supposed to return next year and the potential that's there if they all come back. The other side to that is when was the last time Nebraska kept its core together for two years straight? It's been a while. And so the idea of, you know, believing that um, the group that we saw out there, um, you know, last season is going to be back next season in its entirety, you know, that's that might be wishful thinking. And so with Isaac Copeland, you know, obviously he's going to be 23 years old. He'll have his degree in hand. And with that back injury, you know, you, you, there's no guarantees with how long his career is going to be. So, I mean, does he say, I'm tired of playing college basketball for free. I want to go overseas and make a, a nice six-figure contract. Um, you know, that can be pretty appealing. Um, and then there's also the situation, you know, we talked about the, the craziness with the college basketball landscape. Um, you know, maybe he'll have an opportunity to do an Andrew White type deal where he grad transfers somewhere else um, and is able to play one year at a quote unquote um, higher stage. God, that'd be tough if you did I know, that. I, mean, I know, but, but you know, never say never. Uh, so, but I, I think that's unlikely. I think either he goes and plays overseas or he comes back for his senior season. Right now, from what I'm hearing, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's back next season. James Palmer obviously is going to put his name in the NBA evaluation um, and kind of get an idea of where he stands. And uh, based off um, what I've seen and what I've heard, he's probably going to hear, um, you know, the fact that he probably needs to come back for another season. Um, he's not on any mock drafts you see out there. Really isn't in the conversation to be an NBA prospect for well, the 2018 and, and, and class. And the way he finished the season, just, you know, against elite-level guard play, he, he just didn't do much. Yeah, I mean, when people made him the clear number one on the scouting report, he struggled with it. And so um, you look at the 2019 draft boards, you know, Draft Express, uh, who I consider one of the best out there, has him as a second-rounder in the 2019 class. So... All signs and, you know, realistic expectations say that you should come back for another year. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he's back. Jordy Shimanga obviously already left once. Um, I think that that was kind of a wake-up call for him. And so I would be surprised if he moved on. And so really, uh, any further departures at this point for me, would be a little bit surprising. Now, obviously, I've been surprised many times before, so it obviously still could happen. But right now, I mean, I, I would put the odds are slightly in favor of the majority of that lineup from last year coming back uh, for 2018-19. All right, well, when we come back, we're going to ship back over to football. Nate Klaus will join us as we'll talk recruiting, uh, including camps, as Nebraska uh, will bring back Friday Night Lights. They'll do satellite camps. They'll have camps on campus, um, team camps, seven-on-seven, a lot of things to discuss with Nate. All that's next. Here you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
I heard about that last year. Nebraska fans, if, if we have something that's open to them, they're going to come, and I know that, and, and that can be a real benefit to us in recruiting. Um, the one thing we got to determine yet is if the lights are going to be ready. They're uh, working on the lights this summer, and we got to make sure that we have the nights the lights so we can call it Friday Night Lights. But um, we're looking to have a, a similar structure to what they had. And we'll go back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, final segment here of the show as we are talking camps and recruiting. Um, you know, they're not wasting any time, Nate, as uh, Scott Frost got his camp information out immediately, um, you know, which I, I feel like they got it out pretty quick. I, You know, I think they wanted to get all this information out before the coaches' clinic so they could really hammer it home and get it out there to people. But uh, Nebraska will do two youth camps, uh, June 2nd and June 9th, two individual high school camps that are basically – three or four hours apiece, June 6th and June 7th. They're bringing back the women's clinic, Nate. That was your favorite, man. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot of fun working oh, those women's yeah. clinics over the years. Um, and that that's on June 14th. Um, but the big one, two big, the big things here, Nate, Friday Night Lights back on June 15th. Um, just one, and there, you heard Scott Frost, there could be some issues with the light. So if that is the case, it won't be the full scale open thing to the fans. Then June 16th, seven on seven, uh, they're bringing that back. And we've talked about that for years. We always thought that was a deal that Nebraska should bring back. Uh, they're doing a lineman camp as well on June 16th. And then they're going to try to do a team camp, a full padded team camp. Um, I think they're gonna have a hard time though, Nate. I've, I've studied the camps over the years um, around this area and Nebraska once tried to do this with Bo Pelini it busted out uh, Nebraska again will try to do a full padded team camp they're only going to allow though 12 teams into it uh, but it's 285 per camper 220 uh, for a commuter um, overnight uh, would be 285 so that will be interesting Nate um, to see if they can actually get a team camp going yeah it's kind of uncharted territory there uh, as far as that goes because like you said, they. I know Jeff Jamrog tried to get it going uh, under Bo Pelini, and and it just was not something that it disappeared that off, off the website in about a month. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, and, and let's be honest. I mean, I, I feel like especially if you're going to do a team camp, it's probably going to be local schools, and and a lot of the local schools around here that do team camps every year, they've been going to the same same team camp for. For forever, you know, whether that's, you know, growing up in Ogallala, we went to Shattern State's team camp every summer. And that was just a given that and it was about the same, you know, 10 to 15 other teams that were there every single year, too. Uh, I know that Doan has a team camp. Hastings has a team camp. Uh, Kearney, I believe, has a team camp. So the Dakota schools have huge ones. I mean, South Dakota State right now, I talked to a source up there. They only charge one hundred and seventy uh, for an overnight and a 105 for a commuter, and they have 45 teams already registered yeah. to go. And you know, a lot of them are Minnesota teams and, and you know, Dakota area teams. But yeah, that one will be interesting if they can get that to work. I'll be pretty impressed because I know historically, like you said, everybody's kind of already got the relationship in camp that they've gone to, and usually this late in the game because that's a lot of money to raise 285 yeah. bucks a player. Um, with a thousand dollar deposit, uh, but the other stuff I think will all work great. I think the seven on seven's got tons of potential, and I think the uh, Friday Night Lights it's a no brainer. They're only going to do one. Mike Riley did three. Uh, they went basically three Fridays in a row in June, so they're just going to do one this year, and that will be interesting because that thing's going to fill up quick. 
Um, and, you know, there'll probably have to be almost like a VIP passcode to let some kids in that uh, don't get on. Because I'm guessing they've already gotten a lot of people sign up for the June 15th camp. Oh, I'm sure of it. And and that's the that's kind of the, the hard thing about it is that it can't be an invite-only type of deal. So... Um, of course you can kind of, you can kind of give some certain players a heads up on, on when the registration is going to open for it. I'm not sure if it has already opened for that uh, specific camp yet or not. Uh, but the, the whole lights thing is, is going to be the other interesting thing. You know, if I'm Scott Frost, I'm making sure those lights are either fixed or they rent some, yeah, or they have some temporary lights that they can rent or, or whatever. Uh, but I'm making sure that it's in Memorial Stadium at night and that the fans can be in there because it's just that was a huge, huge part of it uh, of of what Mike Riley and his staff been able to build. Is I mean, this thing last year was just amazing. It was an unreal experience, and the players talked about it for for months and months and months afterwards and and uh and and I know that there are a lot of players that have now been coming to that camp for for you know several several years or, or multiple times and they're looking forward to coming back again and it seems like it's it's slowly been growing and growing into more of a destination type of deal so that Friday night lights thing was big for them to keep and and like you said the seven on seven thing uh, you know Nebraska did it in 2007 they had I think we had 28 teams that were there that first year and it went unbelievably well uh, and then of course the coaching change happened and and uh, was not you know something that the the new staff they did it for one year under Polini and Bellevue West won the last year against Millard South and I'll never forget Ty Kildow ended up being a great baseball player at Nebraska started out as a football player tore his ACL yeah. in the uh, you were working that deal I think Nate yeah. and uh, towards ACL in the event and um, was out for his whole senior season. Yeah. So, and the, but then it just, it went away uh, after that. And, and that's, I mean, when you look back at it, I mean, that, I think that was, they were, they're a little bit of ahead of the curve there uh, because now seven on seven has just turned into, you know, essentially AAU basketball where you've got all these select traveling teams. They go all over the country. They have, you know, they, they have budgets in, in place uh, to take part in, in certain tournaments, certain camp settings. And so uh, not only are, are you able to, to get some, some local seven, you know, local high school teams, I think this is a big draw for a lot of those select teams from all over the country that can come in and and uh, not only compete in a, in a tournament setting but also you know be evaluated by the coaching staff. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we discuss recruiting and uh, satellite camps will once again be a part of it as. We know they're going to be in Atlanta um, in that area again, Nate. We know they're going to have a couple in Miami like last year. Um, and we also know that potentially there could be one in Tampa. South Florida now is an Adidas school. Um, those will probably be the primary targets. Um, last year, Nebraska did satellite camps on their own in St. Louis and in Los Angeles. And, you know, those weren't as good, obviously, as the the Adidas ones. And um, to my knowledge, I don't think Nebraska is going to go and do that again this next year. I think they're going to really just probably concentrate on the Adidas ones only. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, you know, and, and I still think it was a good idea for them to to do those camps on their own because, uh, especially you know, a city like St. Louis, uh, you know, you, you've got you've got a lot of teams around there that are doing satellite camps in St. Louis. Uh, Illinois has been very active. Iowa, Iowa State. Um, you know, even you the know. top top kids though don't in St. Louis don't need to really go to those camps. So what happens is those kids just show up and. 
coincidentally bump into the coaches. Well, yeah, and, and it's about identifying the next crop of top kids more than anything. So, um, but I mean, if you're if you're wanting to recruit that area, I, I think it's smart to create that presence and and to be there consistently every time you turn around. Uh, the, oh, coaches from Nebraska are here. It's it's spring evaluation period, or oh, coaches from Nebraska are here. It's it's satellite camp season. You know, so on and so forth. So. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but and, and the same thing goes with the with the Redwoods uh, camp or Redlands camp last year uh, outside of L.A. I, you know, I think that was obviously California was a key recruiting area for this for that uh, that coaching staff, and so it was important for them to be out there and to get a lot of players out to, to that camp. And even though it was not the the most you know, populated camp in, in terms of overall numbers. I think from top to bottom, that that California camp last year was was just as good as as a lot of others that we've seen over the years. There was still a lot of offered guys at that camp. I, th- I still think there's something to it though when you get 15 Division One Power Five oh, programs no and their entire staffs there, and um, you know, and, and this year with Adidas, you have Jimbo Fisher involved. You're gonna have Lane Kiffin involved. You're gonna have Scott Frost involved um, down the line. So. Um, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, I didn't even think about this, but um, Arizona State too, Nate, uh, Herm Edwards um, will be involved at yep. the camps this year if he comes out to these deals. So um, the Adidas coaching guys that show up, um, it, it reminds me of the old school Nike deals. And, and you know, we definitely plan to, to bring that a part of you. We got the great relationship with the folks at Adidas because of the rivals camps and whatnot. So um, it was fun doing it last year. I don't think it's going to be quite the hectic week. Were we gone, what, nine days last year? Yeah, I think it was nine days. Um, and we traveled the country. I just remember we did a camp in St. Louis on Saturday, and we were in Los Angeles for a camp on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, it was it was uh, travel unlike we've ever traveled before. Yeah, I think it was, I think, seven flights in nine days or something like that. So, um, But it was, it was fun. I mean, not too often you get to go from literally coast to coast uh, covering football camps and, and seeing a bunch of a bunch of talent and being being able to, to kind of be around the coaching staff and and um, you know we had one flight delay that was it yeah and it, it, it allowed us to get an extra beer basically yeah so yeah it went it went really smooth too so uh, so yeah I mean it's 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 pretty impressive though when you look at how fast a lot of this has come together uh, because I want to say when Mike Riley was initially hired. You know, it was the camp schedule didn't come out until even the clinic. Yeah. They, had a, they had a hell of a time. I mean, you, I, you had guys putting together a clinic. I don't think that ever really ran a clinic before. Yeah, that and, first Riley clinic, they they did it. Wasn't it just like a Saturday only, and it was Mac Brown? Yep. And a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the coaches want to have it where they can take a day off of school because you can use a personal clinic day. Uh, and then they want to go out and have a few beers and talk with their staff and have some fun. Uh, <laughs> they don't want to. They want to go to practices and they want to go out and enjoy Lincoln a little bit. And 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 you know that's that's the important thing of that clinic, I think. Yeah, it's the kind of the camaraderie that that goes along with it too. And, and aside from being able to to be around different coaches and and learn from the the coaching staff and everything. And yeah, that that one day clinic that they put together that first year it was not well received. Lightly attended. Yeah, very very light. 
lightly attended. So, I mean, when you look at, at everything that this staff has kind of put together and, and put on paper and, and has set up in stone right now, it is pretty impressive. And uh, and I know they're, they're following kind of the blueprint that they've done at, at Central Florida. You know, and I go back to that seven-on-seven tournament. That was something that they did at Central Florida that was uh, that was huge, and they they offered a ton of players out of that that type of deal. Now, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different because uh, you know seven on seven in Florida is a little bit different than seven on seven in Nebraska. But uh, they're following the blueprint of of success that they've had over the past couple of years at Central Florida, and I have no reason to believe it can't work here. All right, well, it's going to get busier next week as the team will be back on the practice field, and we'll have another uh, fun filled edition here of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.